you guys get treated to this awesome music, you got to tell your friends, you know, and try to get your friends to come here with you because that's what The Rock's all about, bringing your friends, growing in your spirituality together and making more friends and spreading the word, spreading, spreading the rock message. I was out in Colorado this last week and we have a, a couple of rocks out there and uh, I just got an email the other day from a group of friends that are going to be starting one in Tempe, Arizona. So you know, The Rock's starting to get around. And it's very exciting to see what God is doing. Anyway, tonight I want to talk with you, start a series entitled, How to Enjoy Your Life More, or How to Put More Joy in Your Life, whichever fits your situation best. I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about it. You don't have to answer it out loud, but I just want you to ponder it for a moment. How many of you would say that lately in my life, I feel like I've been enduring life more than I've been enjoying life? It was interesting as I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to talk about. I I really do pray about that. And I ask God to help me to be sensitive to what's going on, what conversations I've had recently, what insights I might gain from, and what are people going through. And just before the service tonight, I was sitting back in the hall and a gentleman came up to me and asked if he could sit down and chat. So we began to chat and he said, you know, Mark, I've been wondering this, if you'd talk about this sometime. And so we talked for a little while, and then then he said this. Well, what I'm really saying is, I've been talking to a lot of people lately here at The Rock, and we're all just not enjoying our life very much. And I was wondering if you, you know, sometimes you talk about, you know, how to enjoy your life more. I'm serious. Uncanny experience how the Lord does those things. And I said, well, you know, uh, if you can hold on in about 35 minutes, I'm going to talk about that. And he just, his jaw kind of dropped, and he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. He said, well, I wasn't here last week. I said, well, that, you know, that's, I'm sorry you weren't here, but I'm starting tonight. He goes, I, I don't believe that. You know, God is that way. You know, many of you may not realize this because, again, God has gotten such a bad rap, but God really wants you to enjoy your life. <clears throat> Sometimes we think of God as the, the great killjoy in the sky. You know, anything that's fun, it ain't from God. The last thing God wants anybody to do is have a good time. You know, he just wants to be a bunch of prudes. Those Christians, you know, just sitting around, talking about the Bible all the time, boring stuff, and listen to this boring music. You know, sing these boring songs. Now, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. They aren't so boring. They're actually some of the best songs I ever get to hear compared to the kind of songs that I used to sing. The Bible tells us in John 10, verse 10, in the words of Jesus Christ, His stated mission, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. God wants to give you an abundant life. It was that passage in the New Testament that turned my my wife's life around 27 years ago. She was not yet my wife. She was living on a college campus at Iowa State. She was running for the track team there, national champion track team. Couldn't have been on a better team in the country. She was going out with a great guy, waiting for him to propose, waiting to get married. One day she was running and a series of events began happening in her life. And she said to me, and she's told me the story many times, she said, you know, Mark, it dawned on me, I'm not enjoying an abundant life. The Bible tells me God wants me to have an abundant life. I don't have an abundant life. I'm anemic. My relationship with Shane is terrible. My running is no longer fulfilling. I'm missing something in my life. And I don't know what it is, but I want to find it. 
And one day as she was running across campus, she, she came to this post that they had kind of in the middle of the, of the campus where you could hand out posters or hang up posters. And there was a poster for this, this thing called ISU Bible Study. We call it The Rock. She said, I went. And she said, I found that night and the years after. We spent nine years there together. Everything I'd ever been looking for. Because I discovered that God wanted to give me an abundant life. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, again, you may not realize this is in the Bible, but here's what it says. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Preceding that, it says, let those who are rich in this present life not put their hope in riches, which can fail, but put their hope in the living God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. See, God cares about your life. God cares about your enjoyment. God cares that you have joy in your life. Now, now, it is true that the Bible's definition of joy and our definition of joy is often different. But even though the definition is different, I can assure you of this. God's definition of joy will really bring you joy. The world's definition of joy only temporarily brings you joy, and after that, it only leaves you empty and craving for more. <clears throat> I have a number of friends that are former addicts, former drug addicts or alcoholics, and it's, and it's interesting to talk with them, and you find out that when you first start drinking alcohol, it only took a little bit to make you feel a little better. And then the longer you drank, well, the more it took. And the longer you drank, the more it took. And the addiction grows, and the craving grows, and it takes more and more to satisfy it, And but then you wake up unsatisfied. And it's a vicious cycle down. Where with God, it's a, it's a wonderful cycle up. And I want to talk with you about that over the next <clears throat> four weeks. How for sure you can put more joy in your life. I want us to ponder <clears throat> some questions this evening, and I want you to think about these with me for a moment. And as we honestly try to evaluate, <clears throat> are most people in America really enjoying their lives? Most people are making more money than they did five years ago. Now, I realize stocks are not doing all that well right now, <clears throat> but we have incredible interest rates for housing purchases. People's wages are going up. And most people are making more money than they were five years ago and certainly making more money than ten years ago. And my son at 21 is making almost nine times <clears throat> what I made at 23 starting my family. Life is considerably better today than it was 20 years ago. People are driving nicer vehicles than ever before. You've got heated seats. You've got GP sensors that will just direct you wherever you're going to go. You have heated steering wheels. You can have heated mirrors. You can get an SUV or you can get a PT Cruiser. You can go retro back or you can go retro forward. <clears throat> you can get 0% financing, which was unheard of when I first started thinking of buying cars years ago. And I used to say to some of my, fr my friends, 20 years ago, I said, you know, one day, one day, they're going to be able to buy a house without a down payment. Guess what? You're able to do that now. Friends laughed at me when I said that. And secondly, one of these days they'll have a program where you won't pay any interest on a car. 
You can go out and get a brand new Mitsubishi right now. No payments for a solid year, no interest for six years, and nothing down. It's incredible. I'm not saying, you know, it's the wisest thing to do. I'm just telling you, it's a lot better than things were when I was starting out. People are living in bigger and nicer homes and apartments than they grew up in. <clears throat> in the 50s and 60s, the average home was about 1,500 square feet. Today, the average home is often 3,000 square feet. Guess what? The average family, when I was a kid in the 50s, was six. Today, it's three and a half. We got bigger spaces and we've got smaller people or smaller groups of people living in those places. You can go to apartment complex today, get a couple months rent free, swimming pool, tanning salon, workout facilities, elevators. Up and down. You don't even have to take the stairs. Most people have access to amenities and creature comforts that the rest of the world can only dream of or in fact that they don't even know exists. You and I take things for granted that we have every day that I, I promise you many people in the rest of the world do not even know they exist. I don't know if you realize this and again, you try to paint a picture sometimes so people can grasp things. The United States makes up four, what's in my fingers? Four percent of the world's population. In other words, if we were a community, the United States, if there was a world community, we all live in the gated community on the top of the hill in the million dollar homes and the peasants are all down below. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Most Americans eat extremely well and it shows. Does it not? I was out <clears throat> this week at Colorado speaking to high school students on leadership and making choices in their life for the future. Because they're at that critical point in life, you know, where you can make a choice this way or that way, and many of those choices will last the rest of your life. And every day, we walked from the dorms, because I was also staying in the dorms, no air conditioning, it was about 90 degrees every night, and my pillow was about this thick. So I didn't sleep too well. In the bathroom, you had to walk to way down the hall. You didn't have your own bathroom, so I just went in a water bottle. Sorry, I just, I just thought you'd want to know that I can still deal with bedpans, you know. And in fact, in fact, it's only been the last 50 years you had a bathroom that you could go in. My mother grew up going in a bedpan. She went in the backyard. So anyway, you see, modern amenities, that's my point. You follow me? So every day we'd walk across in this cafeteria. <clears throat> On my right would be about five or six different entrees. There would be chicken, Kiev. There would be spaghetti and meatballs. There would be, you know, <clears throat> all these. some of these names I can't even pronounce. Calazzoni, vegetarian calazzoni. Over here was the Chinese selection. Lo mein. Chicken Cacciatore, I don't know, all kinds of names I couldn't pronounce. <clears throat> we walked down a little farther and we got, oh, cereals, 12 different types of cereals. We got 18 different kinds of pop, three different places you can get your pop. And over here we got soft serve ice cream, every meal, all the time, whatever you want. Oh, here's the toast, here's the bagels, walk out, oh my gosh, a full 
fruit bar, a fresh watermelon, fresh muskmelon, bananas, yogurt, tons of grapes, red and green. Oh, and over here was salad. Oh, and there's the dessert with breakfast. Oh, and then over here, they have cooks that go back outside of the cafeteria and they barbecue for every noon and every dinner. Barbecued chicken on the grill, hamburgers, hot dogs, bratwurst, and chips and fries. It is unbelievable to the rest of the world how Americans eat and the choices that we deal with every day, and yet, you know what? You know what's happening, of course, don't you? Got a bunch of bunch of young people grumbling and complaining that they don't like the food. Till I got done talking with them, <laughs> they didn't grumble anymore. When I help them understand that you have more selections in one meal at this cafeteria than your mother gives you in a month. Oh, I, I never thought of that before, you know. It's, I never thought of that before. Oh, well, still crummy food. Americans are extremely pampered. We live extremely pampered lives. Quite frankly, we live at the level of royalty throughout the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th century. That's how most Americans live. I'm not saying everyone does, but most do. Now let's talk about the reality. People are more stressed out than ever before. Absolutely stressed out. Never before in the history of the world have you had things like road rage. Where people are actually ramming each other in their car and getting out of their car and smacking each other. And I mean, there's stress everywhere you go. The two most prescribed, well, one doesn't have to be prescribed. Aspirin is the single biggest seller of all drugs. And one of the next ones is Prozac. And then you go right on down the line of all other kinds of mood-altering drugs because Americans are so stressed out. The divorce rate is higher than it's ever been, and it steadily climbs. And one of the reasons sometimes it doesn't climb is because people aren't getting married. So when they live together and they break up after five years, which is just as devastating, it's not counted as a divorce. See? That's how they play with the statistics. People are just being worn out as they slave away to make money to buy more things they think will make them happy, often going deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And we're like, I mean, to be honest, sometimes I just close my eyes and I picture my fellow Americans, little white rats on a little wheel. It's going round and round and round. As they clock in more hours, they're more exhausted. They miss their wife, they miss their kids, they miss their friends. And they're getting worn out all to make a little more money, to buy a little bit more that the TV tells to make them happy. And then they're in debt. And the mountain of debt weighs on them all day long. And yet you see, the craving doesn't end because the TV stays on and it changes and they alter the advertising giving. The next time you don't think television works, ask yourselves, why do companies spend a 5 or $10 million for a 30-second spot in the Super Bowl? Because TV doesn't influence you. What you see on TV has no effect on you whatsoever. None. None. Reward your curiosity. With vanilla Coke. I'll bet some of us have tried vanilla Coke after we saw the guy in the headlock. 
pulled into the room and said, Young man, you will be rewarded for your curiosity. I'll bet some of us got a little bit excited when we saw the first Jetta commercial and the VW bug fall out of the tree. And we want to experience something under our rear end when we're driving down the, v- the highway. And it doesn't bother us that it's three, four, five hundred a month when you include full coverage insurance. And we forget that, wait a minute, what's the purpose of a car? Status? Well, no, it's to get you from point A to point B. It's, it's a great expense. It's not an investment. And every mile that goes on, it depreciates. It's like flushing money down the toilet. So you might as well be as economical as you can because you're putting more money in your pocket. But some people don't think that way. And they just keep churning out, churning out more and more things, more and more things to entice more and more people. People are meaner and less courteous than ever before. And it, it, it's amazing. You know, you go to stores and the service often is very good. You don't have to wait in too many lines. People are just mean. There's hardly any civility left anymore, which denotes, by the way, and not too many happy people. People always seem to be grumbling and complaining about something. Did you know what the Bible says? Can I tell you a little secret about God? God not only wants you to enjoy life, but He tells you how. I promise you, he tells you how. Do you know one of the little secrets in the Bible? Griping brings discouragement. Proverbs. Isn't it it? I've had it happen to me. I mean, I've been a, I've been a grumbler in my day. <laughs> I've been a complainer in my day. And I could be sitting there to myself. Nobody hears me, of course. Blah, 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 blah. If you could hear me, this is what it sounds like. Blah, 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 blah. This is so pathetic. Blah, blah, blah. And guess what? You are contributing to your own discouragement. Or let me put it another way. You are suppressing joy. You might as well just stomp in the joy with every whine and snivel and grumble and complain. And it just, I don't want any joy. Scrooge, you know. And I, I can relate to that simply because that could be a tendency for me something I have to war against. The reality is that even though the quality of our comfort is up, the quantity of people's possessions is ever increasing, the quality of people's lives is going down. The quality of our comfort is incredible. It's incredible. The kind of bed you can get to sleep in, the kind of chairs you can get to sit in, all the multiple positions that certain cars will allow you to sit in, The quantity of our possessions just grows and grows and grows. But the quality of our lives is going down. And many of us here, let's not lie to ourselves, okay? Many of us know what that feels like. It's like, Mark, that's me. I'm just just enduring life. I just kind of go through the motions of life. And I seldom feel any joy. All of us can be affected by the vicious cycle that the world tries to impose on us, you know, and it's just there, pressing on us. So tonight, obviously I don't have time to get into all the ways that you can increase joy in your life, and I'm going to try to do that in the weeks to come, but there are two very simple but very profound things that I want to share with you tonight. And I call it choosing joy, okay? Enjoyment simply means 
to experience pleasure or satisfaction in. See, as you look at your life, do you step back and go, man, I'm satisfied. I'm richly satisfied. I'm taking great pleasure in what's going on in my life and what God has done in my life and where I'm at in my life. And I find, honestly, that many of the conversations I have with people of all ages, this is a challenge for them. And I believe that they can overcome that challenge. And that's why I want to share this with you. I really believe that every one of you in this auditorium, now listen to this carefully, without necessarily changing your present circumstances, can absolutely change the joy in your life. Now, there may be some circumstances that need to change, and I'll get to what types in weeks to come. The first, <clears throat> first step, I believe, first principle to enjoying your life more is step back from your life and get perspective. Step back from your life and get perspective. The other evening I was working out and I had a news program on. And it was fascinating. Now, I'm at that age. You know, you hit that magical age like mine where Channel 2 becomes interesting. <laughs> okay, and I understand that it's not so interesting to you. That's okay. There will come a day when you look to expand your horizons. And I'm watching Channel 2 and it's all about Cambodia and it's all about the tele- telecom um, cable, and the giant communications cable that they're putting across the entire country, almost 600 miles across Cambodia. The average person in Cambodia lives on one dollar a day. The people there that they interviewed and followed throughout the whole country, as I watched, it was an hour-long program. Men and women, mommies and daddies, and their little children, they take with the bare hands and bare feet. You know, the telecommunication company, of course, are making, they're, they're preparing to make millions of dollars and, and bring Cambodia and Thailand into the new century. They don't take a ditch witch to Cambodia. You know, when you're watching outside your front yard, when the telephone company comes or the telecom or the cable company, you know, it's a ditch witch. A guy sitting on his rear end, pretty big usually. A little thing digging a trench. Oh no. Oh no, we're talking mommy and daddy. Six-year-old little kids with a funny-looking hoe. Big, heavy thing. It looks kind of like my hand. Big, big rod sticking through it. Big piece of wood. And they're digging a trench by hand, 600 miles, three feet deep, and a foot wide by hand. And they get paid 60 cents a day. And they followed one of these families to the different workstations, the different workstations. And at the end, when they finally got it all done, the family was looking forward to their 60 cents a day for that whole year. The foreman ran off with all the pay. And I have seldom watched anyone in my life cry as hard. I looked in that screen and that face and I saw hopelessness. When I go to Honduras... Some of you that have been, and I would strongly encourage you to go on our mission trips once in a while. Maybe next year, think about it. It will blow your mind. you got the past and the present on a collision course. And you'll be driving down maybe in the bus with your fellow mission team. And you look over, and there's a Lexus SUV next to you. 
And the other side of the Lexus is a dad on his ox cart with a donkey and a kid with no shoes and no shirt. You stop at the stop sign or the stoplight on the curbs around San Pedro Sula. And little kids will come. It'll be five in the morning. Barefoot, dirty, knock on your window trying to sell papers for a dime. Everywhere you go is the aroma. You feel like you're in a giant campsite whenever you're in Honduras. The smoke is everywhere of the campfires because the majority of the people there, that's how they cook. The poverty is unbelievable. You and I, I've said this before, but I would just gently remind us, we are richer, all of us in this room, than the majority of the rest of the world. There are a billion in India. There are a billion in China. And you are wealthier than 90% of 2 billion in the continent of China or the, the country of China and of India. I have friends that have been to both places. I've heard the stories. They are mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. I had a dear, dear friend in my home Carlos Gomez, who I work with in Honduras, and he was in my home about a year ago, and he'd gone with Samaritan's Purse, which is an organization with Franklin Graham, to India for, well, it was supposed to be three weeks. He ended up there three months away from his family. He said, Mark, he looked at me with tears in his eyes, he said, Mark, I have seen poverty in Honduras, my country. It's everywhere. He said, Honduras. It's like the Taj Mahal compared to India. Everywhere I went, Mark, there was flies, there was a stench. The nicest hotel they put me up in, there was roaches everywhere. The water barely worked. They have a, they have a water problem there. He said, you go to a restaurant and they're using a rag that they've used a month in a row, filthy to wipe the tables, diseases everywhere. There are people, tens of thousands of people, Mark, sleeping in the street with vermin crawling on them. And he said, it just breaks your heart. You step back from your life, you see, and you and I have it so good. The Cambodians spend the majority of their day, besides when they're able to work, foraging for food. Looking for something to eat. Most of them live on one meal of rice a day. As do many in China and many in India. You and I, most in this room, could go tonight and eat at almost any restaurant you want tonight in this city. You could order about whatever you wanted to. And even if you couldn't, Everybody here can afford to go to Chipotle and have an incredible burrito or fajita with fresh fixings, fixed the way you want it, with clean water that never gets you sick. My water bill came recently. Can I blow your mind with something? I went through, I think it was 20,000 gallons of water in three months. You know what it cost me? So a lot of people don't realize this. Your water bill is charging you for your sewage and the pipes that go from your home to drain, not just water. Water is all by itself. I paid 0.003 cents per gallon. 
or in other words, a thousand gallons for three dollars. And it's fresh and it's clean and it's never gotten me sick. If I go to Honduras and take one sip one time, I had a droplet, a droplet. And I was on my back with the weirdest things coming out of my body for two and a half weeks and I laid on the couch and moaned in excruciating pain, abdominal pain, that I could do nothing about. You think for a moment, we think nothing of being able to walk. You know, we can just walk. Or we can run. And we may have a few ailments, but just about every one of us, we have our health. You know what Proverbs says? It says, A cheerful heart has a continual feast, but a gloomy person, everything goes, seems to go wrong for them. The point is, is that a cheerful person is not cheerful because of circumstances around them, but because they choose joy. And when you choose joy, you're happier. You're healthier. And everything around you, your perspective is, you know what, it's just going to work out. God's going to work it out. But to the gloomy person, the person whose perspective, perspective is always bad, it's always down, it's always dreary, it's always negative, it's always critical, you are robbing yourself of joy, of enjoyment. Second thing is to learn contentment. I'd like to read to you from a passage in Ecclesiastes. You can read it on your own sometime, but it's very fascinating. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what is the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers? People who live only for wealth come to the end of their lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day they were born. What does he mean by that? Well, because you and I could say there's a lot of people, Mark, who die. They're not empty-handed. You don't understand what he's saying. What he's saying is, in the quality of their life, they die empty. Because money is not a measure of the quality of your life. So when you die, you may have had all these things. Bill Gates may have 54,000 square foot home that everything is computerized. He does not know the meaning of God's enjoyment if he does not know the measure of what God defines as success, I promise you, he and Larry Ellison of Oracle, no matter how much they fight, will come to the end of their lives. Empty. But you, little old you and me, who never lived in a home, one, one thousandth that size, or one hundred, will know all this too, you see, he says, is a very serious problem. As people come into this world, so they depart. All their hard work is for nothing. They have been working for the wind and everything will be swept away throughout their lives. They live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. And angry even so. I noticed one thing, at least that is good. It is good for people to eat well, drink a good glass of wine, and enjoy their work, whatever they do under the sun. For however long, God lets them live. 
It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and a good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. People who do this rarely look with sorrow on the past for God has given them reason for joy. And then, my friends, is a little bit about contentment means. We accept our lot in life. Paul writes in Philippians, Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, I have learned the secret of being content. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength because my joy is dependent upon God. But even with God, He gives us things to enjoy. Whether it's a good meal, a good glass of wine, the health to enjoy your life, the body that you have, the personality that God gave you, all the talents and gifts and wonderful attributes that He put in you were free. Absolutely free. It says in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 7, All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It is like chasing the wind. So often we're always wishing for something off in the future, like wanting to be married, wishing for a different car, wishing for a different body, wishing for different size body parts. Years ago I had a dear, dear friend. I don't see them much anymore. And they were in my band. We sang a lot together. One day this young man came to me and said, Mark, I'm in love with so-and-so, and I, I really believe I, you know, she's the one that I want to marry. I said, well, she's a great gal. You know, I think it would be great. I'm all for you guys. So I was singing in their wedding. This was shortly before I was a pastor. And about three weeks before the wedding, he came to me and he said, Mark, we really got to talk. We went out under a tree. He said, Mark, I feel like an absolute fool. I don't know how to say this. I said, listen, you don't have to feel foolish. And I mean that. Whatever you'd ever want to talk about, call me or write. You never need to feel foolish. I've just about everything you can imagine. I've heard, talked with people about, we're all human. We all struggle. He said, Mark, I'm so ashamed. I'm having second thoughts about whether I want to marry her. I said, well, man, what's up? We can talk about this. Let's talk it through. He goes, well, I'm too embarrassed to even tell you. So I said, well, I, you know, obviously I can't really work it through with you if you don't tell me. I said, I promise I won't laugh. He said, Mark, I, I can't stand her nose. It's really starting to bother me. It's big. I don't like it. I never noticed that before. You know, I've known this gal a long time. So we talked and I shared a little advice with him. And uh, I said, well, you know, you, it would not be fair, obviously, to get married to her if you're not content with her, if you're not satisfied, that's not fair to her. But but I think you can work through this, so why don't you pray about it the next couple of days, think about it. So he called me a couple of days later, and I asked him, he said, oh, it's fine, everything's fine. They got married. Eight months after they were married, unbeknownst to me, he forced her to go have an operation on her nose. When she came out, after she was traumatized by it because it was not what she wanted to do, he hated it even worse. Now in our neighborhoods we have Botox parties to inject our face our face with a low-grade botulism to freeze the wrinkles in our face. We're not content with the size of our breasts. We're not content with the size of our butt. Men aren't content with the size of their pecs. 
and on and on and on it goes in the quest for joy. And then like Lyle Alzado, who played for the Oakland Raiders, after all the injections of steroids, he had cancer and died a horrible death. You see, my friend, listen to me, and I mean this lovingly, I mean this tenderly to you. The world is lying to you. They are selling poison snake oil. That does not mean you can't enjoy a nice car if you understand what it means to be content with that car. If you understand what it means to practice gratitude, you see, gratitude is the secret to life. It's the secret to joy. It's the secret to contentment. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Oh, Lord, I so much appreciate that. I I mean, it's all I'll tell you. By nature, now I'm going to close. Just a moment. By nature, I'm a very negative person. I can get so pessimistic, so negative. And as a young man, this would just destroy me. It just rotted me out. It made me so moody, so discouraged, so down. Then I began to realize as I became a new Christian, I, and I realized, you know, God wants to change that in my life. He wants to give me an abundant life. And I began to realize the culprit. The culprit was my lack of gratitude. I was just whining and complaining all the time, thinking I deserve this and I deserve that, instead of thanking, oh, thank you, Lord, for this hand. Thank you, Lord, for my hair. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me eyes to see. And now, if I can be honest with you, there are many times in my personal time with God, it's like if you have your yoga, you have your Buddhism, you have your meditation, I have my prayer, see? And you know what I do after my prayer? Is I walk to the Lord, just I want to thank you today that I can walk. See, i got a friend, Lord, he can't. Thank you, Lord, for giving me strong enough legs to carry the weight of my body. Thank you, Lord, for my eyes and for hair on my head that I'm not bald yet, Lord. And thank you that I can hear. And Lord, thank you for my precious family. Thank you for four healthy children. Thank you, and I just go on, sometimes for an hour. Let me tell you something. It's really hard to walk away without joy after an hour spent that way. But you know what many of us do? And I've done it too, can still do it. We can go through our whole day not praying, but playing the most pathetic tapes in our mind my life's so bad, I'm never going to get married. So-and-so gets to get married, and we're comparing ourselves, comparing them to our looks, comparing them to their talents, comparing ourselves to what they've got, and I don't have it. And you know what the Bible says? Jealousy rots the bones. Jealousy is the most destructive force in a person's being. And see, you you may not want to call it jealousy, but when you look with wishful thinking on what they have, and you don't have it, and it bothers you, it's jealousy. God wants you to enjoy the present. He wants you to enjoy what He's doing in your life right now, what you've got right now. It's only going to get better. God is going to do you good. Please come back the next three weeks, because I promise you, If you are able to apply some of the things we talk about, you are really going to change your reality, your experiential reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and for your love and for your mercy and for your generosity that gave us our life and gave us this planet and gave us taste buds in a digestive system and this incredible variety of food. On any given night, we could go out and get almost anything we wanted to eat. 
Oh God, we're just so grateful to you to have our freedom. To have never known what tyranny was or oppression was. To not have to cower in our own homes wondering, wondering if the government's going to kill us. And we may grumble, Lord, and I may grumble about my taxes. I would rather pay taxes here than have lived for 80 years in the Soviet Union. Or than be living today in communist China. God, you have been so good to us. Help us to know that. Help these men and women to experience extraordinary joy that you want to bring in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.